Our patients are the first thing we think of when we begin each day and the last thing we think about when we finish. In that spirit, Hendricks Regional Health, Danville, Indiana, proudly presents Health Talks with HRH. Here's Melanie Cole. Well, as the weather warms up, we all engage in a number of activities that can make us more vulnerable to fleas and ticks and mosquitoes. And according to the CDC, there's been a steady increase in the occurrence of vector-borne diseases over the last couple of years. My guest is Sandy Benson. She's an infection preventionist at Hendricks Regional Health. Sandy, what are some of the latest indications that you're hearing on vector-borne diseases? Are we seeing more of them? Um, Yes, Melanie, we are. Recently, uh, the CDC is estimating there are about 300,000 kind of like Lyme disease infections in the U.S. This each year, but recently, eight to ten times is what's being reported at what we typically have. And that's been a little bit unusual. Um, the um, ticks are also something that we're seeing an increase in the United States. They're the biggest threats. Uh, the diseases spread by ticks are rapidly on the rise as well. Um, you know, these things can't necessarily always be found by traveling, but many can be picked up in your own backyard. So we are definitely seeing an increase uh, nationwide in a number of these vector, what we call vector-borne ailments. So let's describe for the listeners a little bit about vector-borne ailments. What are some of the main vectors and the diseases that they transmit? And you've mentioned a few of them, but, you know, speak because there's such a long list of them and people have heard of West Nile or mosquito things or malaria, but speak about some of the others that you see. Well, um, we see quite a few. Um, I know uh, many have heard about Lyme disease. Many may have heard about Rocky spotted, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, which is uh, another type of tick. Uh, most of us have been well aware about the information regarding mosquitoes. Um, uh, we had quite uh, the, the time last year uh, regarding the mosquitoes, and they can spread things like malaria, Zika, dengue fever, uh, West Nile, and other illnesses. So, so many of these uh, pest-borne diseases uh, seem to be um, non-existent or, you know, we don't think about these, but they are rapidly on the rise and it's kind of worth doing anything and everything you can to avoid getting infected by these. Well, then let's start with one of the more obvious is mosquitoes. So yes. what can we do? Is is th- products with DEET, is this enough? And how do we know if a mosquito bites us, if it's something that we should be worried about? Well, one of the things that you can do, first of all, is if you're going to be walking through the woods or in buggy regions where it's easiest, uh, you know, for a mosquito or a tick to reach your skin, is to make sure that you limit the amount of exposed skin in the first place. Long pants, sleeves, socks, those kinds of things can help keep ticks and mosquitoes from finding a patch of skin to to uh, bite. You also want uh, your clothes to help you battle the bugs, but you want to look at your gear that you're using. If you're an outdoor kind of person, you want to see if you can find some outdoor gear that's been pre-treated 
with uh, a type of chemical. This is a chemical that doesn't work on your skin, something like a permethrin. Um, it doesn't stay uh, on your skin, but it stays on your clothes or your camping gear. And those kinds of, uh, uh, that kind of chemical can deter bugs from getting into uh, some of your pre, your you know, your tent supplies and things like that. And some of these pre-treated clothes, they're great and last about 70 wash cycles. Um, you can also buy spray or wash uh, to apply. And then, of course, you're applied to your uh, skin. There's always skin prep that you want to make sure that you uh, put uh, EPA-registered product, uh, skin repellent on your skin. Most of them should contain at least 20% DEET, which is the chemical that's deemed safe by the Centers for Disease Control. It's safe for even children over two months of age, pregnant women, um, and, and adults. I'm so glad you mentioned about children because I was going to ask you that, so thank you for clarifying that DEET is safe for children. Now, we like to go to the beach, and sand yes. flies are the worst. I mean, they just absolutely are such a nuisance. Are there diseases we worry about with them as well? With sand flies? With sand and any kind of, um, any kind of uh, uh, blood uh, uh, insect that's kind of biting, blood-sucking that you run into, um, those kinds of things, they can not so much carry diseases. They could possibly carry diseases. But the other thing is they have these large, red, itchy bites that kind of turn into a rash. And um, people start scratching. And oftentimes, if your hands are not clean um, and you're scratching with your fingernails and you've got things under your fingernails and you're scratching, you could end up with um, a basic skin infection. Uh, now, sometimes sand flies can carry what's called a Chandipura vi uh, virus, which is a cousin of rabies, and uh, it could be deadly, but those are typically found in places like India. But yes, over-the-counter repellents with large concentrations of DEET, again, are proven to work on these sand flies. And they're pretty annoying because their bites last uh, a little bit longer than the mosquito bites. You know, sometimes you can use some lemon uh, eucalyptus oil. That's been shown to be kind of effective. So you want to pre-treat as much as you can and uh, limit the time that you're hanging out in the sand. It sounds wonderful to spend all day out there, but sometimes you have to use a little bit of a precaution. That's great advice. Now ticks, because Lyme disease and, boy, we have to check our, our little pets and ourselves. What do you want us to do as far as tick prevention, but also tick checks. If we are out in the woods or if we're camping, you know, where are the spots we really need to be looking to make sure that we didn't get one? Oh, absolutely. You want to make sure that you're paying attention to that. What you really want to do, as I mentioned, you want to not only take uh, precautions about making sure that you cover as much skin as you possibly can, you want to make sure that after spending time in the woods or spending time um, walking around, uh, you want to get yourself in a situation where you can examine the skin, particularly with pets. You want to make sure you look behind the ears. You want to look under the collar. You want to make sure that you look at their foot pads. 
you know, oftentimes uh, the tick will go for wherever they can get access to a blood supply or a blood meal, and um, they will go for whatever is exposed. Um, you also want to make sure I can remember, uh, you know, if you have children going off to camp, you know, summertime is a great time to, to go camping. You know, they have the Boy Scout camps and the day camps and whatnot. When the child comes in, you want to probably take the backpack and all of the luggage and all of the clothing. You want to separate it, shake it out, look what's in it, and you want to go ahead and do your laundry, making sure that you inspect everything there. And then the child. Uh, they might balk a little bit, but you want to check behind their ears, in the folds of their ears, the folds of their skin. Uh, you pretty want to do a pretty detailed inspection if they've been out for a very long time, like camping and that kind of thing. Um, those are the kind of typical things that you want to do. Um, antibiotics, sometimes uh, people will try to pre-treat, not recommended in that case, but the best approach is to start out with making sure that you're dressed properly, you use any kind of repellent screens with DEET as much as possible. And then if you do get a tick bite, you want to make sure that you wash um, and use antibiotic cream at that place and at that point. If the uh, bite area develops some itching, uh, preparations containing uh, Benadryl um, is typically recommended. You can apply it directly to the skin. Uh, however, uh, treatment of the pathogens that the tick might pass on to a person depends on a number of factors, such as the type of tick, the time the tick's been attached to the host, the kinds of diseases you're seeing in the community, and the symptoms developed by the patient. Um, and specific treatment for a tick bite, it really depends on the identity of the pathogen that's transmitted. And oftentimes, uh, it's important when you go in to visit a physician if you're not feeling where tired, listing, itching, that type of thing. Um, very important to tell the physician, well, I've been camping. Well, I've been out in the woods, those kinds of things, because that helps diagnose the situation pretty quickly. And now the last one I'd like to ask you about in our time today, Sandy, is waterborne vector diseases, because sometimes, you know, you see some spores in the water, maybe they're harmful, maybe they're not. Is there anything in the water we should be wary of if we're swimming around in lakes or that sort of thing? What should we be aware of, if anything? Uh, yes, one thing that I like to tell folks about, you know, when it gets hot, the first thing most of us want to do is we want to jump in the water to get cool. Um, oftentimes, uh, there's uh, things like cryptosporiosis uh, that might be hanging out if you jump into a water supply that has not been maintained. Um, Sometimes uh, water, depending on the conditions, like when you have 90-degree weather or water is stagnant, you can have pathogens to grow, um, and they're pathogens that aren't a normal part of a freshwater flora. Um, very important if you've got broken skin or if you've got a rash to not just jump willy-nilly into uh, unfamiliar water. If you're out hiking, jumping into a fresh water, it may look refreshing, but you're not sure what's in that water. 
Uh, oftentimes, if you're uh, in a pool, water parks, uh, it's important to make sure that that water park has been maintained. You know, you uh, pools, very important to make sure the proper chemical levels are being maintained. Oftentimes, the water safety piece about... Um, Avoiding uh, putting a child with a soiled diaper into a pool, avoiding uh, things like that. You want to just kind of pay attention to those types of things. Real easy to pick up something in unfamiliar water. Sometimes you have blood flukes hanging out in water, um, sometimes can infect victims. Um, you just don't know what's going on in the water. So try to avoid going into water unless you know it's a well-maintained pool or you're familiar with the water supply. But I'd encourage you to avoid unfamiliar water that you just come across, particularly when the weather's been kind of funny. Uh, you've been having flooding in the area or changes in the environment or if it's... Uh, a situation where the the temperature's been kind of crazy. I know we've all heard of uh, flesh-eating bacteria and, you know, heard things in the media about people jumping into unfamiliar water, sustaining a scratch or an injury and ending up hospitalized or something like that. So not wanting to frighten anybody, but it is wise to use precaution in jumping in unfamiliar water. As you wrap up for us, Sandy, what does the World Health Organization say about traveling and, and what we need to be aware of? We heard a lot about Zika for a while. Just what you want us to know in terms of summer travel to any places we need to be aware of and then wrap it up with your very best advice about vector-borne diseases and preventing them this summer because that is so important and we hear so much about ticks and and mosquitoes, and people really want to keep themselves safe. Okay. Best advice is if you're going to uh, a tropical place or if you're going to where the weather's going to be hot, warm, sticky, I encourage you to go on the Internet, and there's usually some precautions printed online about what to watch out for. Make sure that you have proper vaccinations as required. Um, that's what I would do if I were traveling. Uh, you want to make sure that in your luggage, you supply yourself with maybe uh, Benadryl cream, uh, if you uh, a supply of D-E-E-T, if you're going to be a place where they're having mosquitoes, uh, you want to carry yourself that type of uh, supply along with you. The best advice that I can give to folks is prevention. It goes a long way with uh, avoiding illnesses caused by vectors like mosquitoes and ticks. Again, if you're going out in the woods, put uh, clothes on, uh, long, cover as much skin as you possibly can, use D-E-E-T, on the skin, exposed skin areas. Try to limit the time that you're out if you're going camping. Take advantage of purchasing some of the pre-treated um, items such as tents and some of the supplies come pre-treated now to help uh, repel some of those. Avoid jumping in unfamiliar water sources. 
um, very important to use some common sense uh, when going to a place that you're unfamiliar with, making sure that you don't uh, take a chance or increase your potential for getting ill. If you've got breaks in your skin, make sure that you wash and cover uh, those breaks in your skin. That's also helpful as well. So prevention goes a long way. Well, it certainly does, Sandy, and you are just such an excellent guest and so well-versed in these kinds of things. And thank you so much for being with us today and for sharing this expertise about the ways that we can prevent some of these vector-borne diseases. This is Health Talks with HRH, Hendricks Regional Health. For more information, please visit Hendricks.org. That's Hendricks.org. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for tuning in.